Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Okay. Hi, everybody. I'm David Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. This is Don't Myths. <laughs> Don't Myth This. Uh, we're so glad you're here. And I was just so excited because, ah, look, we have with us, we have a special guest who's with us today. You may recognize her. This is Lindsay Sterling. We're so excited. Super excited she's here. What I'm do you want to say? Yes. Well, um, I actually reached out to them and asked, I was like, I'm going to be in Utah in like a week. I would love to come be a part of one of the lessons. And for those of you who don't know me, I'm a violinist. Um, I went to BYU. I went on my mission to New York City. And I am very grateful that I have the church in my life. And it is, I feel like in a huge way, protected me through the crazy industry of music and entertainment that I'm a part of. And I actually love watching their videos. My dad was a seminary teacher, so I just relate to the way you guys teach. I love um, your style of teaching, and it's really helped me because I'm actually a church, I'm a Sunday school teacher in the ward that I go to, in the church I go to. And so um, I watch their lessons to help me gain better insights to teach my lessons. So I was excited to be part of it. Well, okay, that's really we're so excited Whoa. too. And we should say she's not just any violin. Okay, player, I was about to everybody. say, that <laughs> sounded so boring. Yeah. So if you want to look her up on YouTube, you're about to be so happy. And if you think it's going to be like, you're wrong. Because yeah, it's so It's going to change your life. I have been watching Lindsay for, I don't even, when did you start? Because Gosh, I've been doing this for like, like 10 years. Like yeah. 10 years yeah. now. Yeah. I can remember your like first two or three videos that you really? put on. And I was like, oh, I love this girl. And now look, this girl's in my basement right now. I'm so right. happy right and now. And she may or may not be playing the p- uh, violin she, or the she piano. She can play whatever she wants um, at the end. <laughs> Y'all, she's like a professional dancer and violiner at the same time. And it is, we call that a violancer. Oh. And it's, she's <laughs> well, legit. So we're so happy yeah. she's here. So cool. Okay, hey, just real fast before we start the lesson, two things. Journals, I know they're working their booties off to try and get them to y'all. So please be patient. We'll give you an update as soon as we have them. Um, Just watch Instagram for that. And then everybody is, a lot of people have been asking where to get these cards and we've been getting awesome feedback from this in guiding people's just. We're so excited about these. These are so fun. This is what we're doing new this year. If you haven't seen them, this is in the newsletter every week that you can sign up for at, um, look in our profiles to find the link or just go to Emily Bell Freeman, Bell is with an E, dot com and you can find the sign up for the newsletter. And these come every night and they are no, just, they don't come, they every, don't night, come every night, they, they come, come once a week, once a week. <laughs> but they you will guide you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they will guide you through a little mini discussion with your family. Some of the feedback we've been getting, it's awesome for like families that are um, spread out in age. But then also we've been hearing from a lot of like couples who just do them together. They start their discussion. So hopefully you're loving these. That's how to find them. Okay. Okay. That's all the things. Now we're going to move out of the way from the board so that you can see see the board. Right. Okay. There's the board. And you have no idea what's going on, but don't you worry. We're going to tell you what's happening here. This remember is the same sheet that's in your study journal. Same guy because it is the same dream. And it looks exactly like the one you had last week yeah. on purpose. Right. So same dream. Lehi has it in chapter eight and just gives it. And then it's like over. It's just like like somebody waking up in the morning 
and saying their dream to everybody who's there. Um, oh, tell your dream story. Okay. Some of y'all haven't heard this story and I'm forcing her to tell it. Okay, so, so this good. is so fun. Because I wonder how many of you are dreamers out there. I am such a dreamer. Like Me too. bright are colors, you one? every once in a while. Not all the time, but it's really cool to find the symbolism yeah. and think about is but, that just because I ate something funny or is that like a symbolic yes. dream? Yeah. Sometimes it is. Exactly. And my kids and my really close friends love it when I have a dream because I just spill out everything just the <gasps> same way Lehi did. This is coming on the week of Martin Luther King and you had a dream. Oh, I had a dream. You guys, this guys is so like, fitting. We're very <laughs> symbolic. <laughs> I don't know. That's what happens when we invite him. Um, so, anyways. I woke up one day, I had had a dream. My kids love it. They always sit down. They want all the details of the dream. And um, just like Lehi went through and he was like, and then there was a tree and then there was a river and then there was the rod. And, and that's exactly what happened to our house. So I had this dream. I was in a warehouse. It was late. It was at night. It was dark. There were no lights in the warehouse. We don't know why. And I was all by myself. And this boy walked up to me. And I could tell he was homeless by the way he was dressed. Like he, he didn't have somewhere to be. And he walked up to where I was and he said to me, I want to know more about your church. And then I immediately turn around and start making a sandwich. For some reason, I had all stuff to make sandwiches. Like everything you've ever wanted in order to make a sandwich. Every meat, every cheese, all those little fun things. The buns were like huge. They were so good. I made four sandwiches. They were all different. I was super good at it. In fact, in the middle of the dream, I think to myself, you are really good at making sandwiches. You should open a sandwich shop. And I even had, do you know the paper that you wrap around and that baker's twine? I even had that. I made four. Oh, I also had bags. Little Legit. bags. Yeah, I was like, for real. She's a really sandwich And I baker. put them all in and I walked over and I went over to the boy and I just wrapped my arm around him. And I gave him the sandwiches and then I turned and started walking away. And right when I start walking away, the phone rings and I look down at the caller ID and it says, Christ the Lord is calling me. And I'm like, the first thought I had was, how did he get my number? Like, what, how did that happen? And it was like so perplexing to me. It immediately woke me up out of my dream. Like my heart was pounding so hard. I could not figure out how he got my phone number. And it's two in the morning and I'm like not with it. But I think about it for a second. And then I, I finally just go to bed and I wake up the next morning. I tell all my kids about it. I tell my neighbor uh, next door and we kind of laugh about it. But the dream kind of haunts me because I, I want to know why was he calling me? Like, don't you want to know why Christ the Lord was calling me? I'm wondering why you dream? didn't answer the and call. I'm so sad. Well, it's about to. <laughs> I know. It's the best part of every dream. <laughs> we don't know. So in my mind, I just started thinking to myself, well, what do you think he was going to say? And then I got to the point where I was like, I bet he was calling to say, why didn't you tell the boy about your church? Which made me feel really sad because I'm a seminary teacher. I teach kids all day long. This is what to do if someone asks you about the church and we have conversations of like, what would you say in this scenario and this scenario? And we'd, we talk those things through and then I didn't say anything to the boy. I had the dream on a Wednesday night. I thought about it all day Thursday, all day Friday, all day Saturday. On Sunday, I am still worked up over the fact that I forgot to tell the boy about my church. The fake boy. 
the fake boy. And I get home from church, and I'm sitting in front of the fireplace. And sometimes, I know this is going to sound weird unless you're a dreamer, but sometimes I try and teach my subconscious what is the right thing to do. So if it ever happens again, I'm prepared for that moment in the dream. So I was trying to think about how I should have handled the dream. And Spirit just says this to me. We believe in a God who believes in feeding the hungry. And I was like, well, that's true. And I thought about that for a minute, and I, I thought to myself about the boy. And then the Spirit said, what that boy needed in that moment was a sandwich. That's all he needed from you. And then I was like, oh, that's exactly right. That's what, that's what that boy needed was a sandwich. And me living my religion in that moment was actually just making a sandwich. That's what it looked like. And I love as I walked through that dream process and I went through and I thought about each of the little pieces, the boy and the warehouse and the dark and the sandwiches and the bags and the, everything that was going on. The afterward and with time, what settled on me was a lesson that taught me how to meet someone where they are in the place where they are and to give them what they would need to love like Jesus would in that moment. And I just think about sometimes Jesus just ate lunch with people. Mm. That's mm -hmm. what he did. And as we think about this dream, we have been learning about the tree and the rod and the river, many of us, since primary. So when we start hearing those things, it becomes so commonplace to us that we forget to really think about what was happening actually in the dream. Yeah. And I think one of the things that we forget about is um, we had a discussion about this at work, actually, at the Institute. And it was a focus on what some of the, you know, here's this group and this group and this group. And it was like, wait, but what if you took people from the group? And what if you gave them names and faces? And what if you started to see, like, wait, what, is, what are all these people's individual stories, mm. you know, which mm -hmm. I think is really important to do. And that's kind of what happens in Chapter 11. So Nephi must have been thinking about um, his dad's dream for a couple in front of, of the fireplace. yeah, like you were, okay, it. just like wow, okay, what do these things mean? He really wants to know. He knows. Lehi tells him it has spiritual significance. Nephi knows, like, there's got to be something here to figure out, and so he is asking and he's wondering and he's seeking to know what it is. And he he says at the beginning of the chapter um, that I had desired to know the things my father had seen. And, and I knew that God could let me know about them. And so I asked, and the Spirit takes him up to this high mountain and has this conversation with him. And he's going to get to see the dream. Spoiler. And he's going to get a <laughs> tour guide through it, two of them, who are just going to show, like, let's not just show you objects. We're going to show you what the story actually is um, with people in it. And, uh, and his question when he is in this vision is what we want to start with. And it comes in um, verse 10. The Spirit actually says, well, first the Spirit says, look, in verse 8. And this is kind of the key word for the whole chapter that we want you to focus on. Is he keeps telling him to look at a whole bunch of things. I want you to look at this and look at this. And not just look, but look with an exclamation point. Mm -hmm. So as you read, oh, I said that really loud. As you read chapter 11, maybe you want to circle or find all the different things that the Spirit wants him to look at. And ask yourself the question, wait, why does he want him to look at that? And what's he want him to learn by looking at that? Like, what's what's he doing? What's, what's he you, leading him through? And those of you who are visual learners, you love that the angel wasn't like, okay, sit down and let me just tell you, this is the tree and this is this and this. And you take notes. 
You love that the angel was like, I'm going to paint you a picture right now. And so as you're doing this, particularly if your kids are younger, you might want to hand out lots of pieces of paper and say, when the angel says, look, I want you to draw what you hear the angel describing. Just draw and then set that paper aside. And then when he says, look again, draw that and set that paper aside. And the next time until you're all done and then lay out the papers and see what did you learn from that yeah. experience. Um, or just picture it. If you're, a, if you're a kind of a thinker, if you've got a good imagination, you might like think this. Now it's different from eight. We gave that suggestion for chapter eight, but you're going to see new stuff here. Yes. So Lehi's question is verse 10. This is kind of what propels the whole vision. And he means Nephi, really. And who did I say? Lehi. Yeah, Lehi's son. <laughs> I wasn't, I just wasn't done. Okay, Lehi, Lehi's son. Um, <laughs> Nephi asks in verse 10, I mean, the spirit asks, what do you want? What desirest thou? And Nephi's answer is, I want to know what the tree means. Like that was the most fascinating part of his dad's vision. And it's something he's already seen. I want to, that seems to be the center point of the story. What does the tree mean? And then the spirit's gonna, not going to tell him. He's going to say, look, right? And that kind of leads into the first thing that he sees. And so the first look is where, Lindsay? Well, Did oh yeah, see? or the second one. The first one yeah, was the, the tree, the tree. And then the second one is, is third, yeah, starting 12 and yeah. 13. So first of all, I want to just mention that for any of uh, my fans that might have jumped over here with us to, to look at this, we're in the Book of Mormon. Oh, good. good and job. Uh, the Book of Mormon is something that I think is a lot of times really misunderstood. And what I love about the Book of Mormon is that it is another testament of Jesus Christ. And it is a book that teaches about his ministry from a different lens and a different angle. And, um, and I think that's one of the coolest things about what we're talking about today is it's all based upon Jesus Christ. And for this vision and this dream that was seen by um, Nephi, he's one of the prophets in the Book of Mormon and his father was a prophet, he's asking about this tree and the way the angel describes to him what the tree means is by like, okay, we're gonna go back to the beginning where this all really first happened and that is Jesus Christ. And he goes and he shows him Jerusalem and this and Nazareth and he beholds the virgin, he beholds Mary, and he sees how beautiful she is and that she's with child. And then he gets to see the scene where Jesus was born. And I think that it's so cool because this whole chapter is talking about the condescension of God, about the fact that Jesus Christ was coming to our level, meeting us where we're at, coming as a, as a mortal. You know, one of the most powerful beings, the very son of God, who is the savior of the world, he comes to this earth to experience it like us. And I love that you just said that and that you use that word because condescension is such a hard word. Yeah. For, people are like, that is a long word. It's right. hard to say. What does it mean? And what does it even mean? In my scriptures I have written right there, it's the ability of God to come to your level. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what we want to be watching for right now is we're going to, the angel's going to say, look, let me just actually show you what condescension is. Yeah. Um, what it looks like because mm -hmm. the word does not make sense. And you love too when Nephi says, um, he's like, do you know, um, in verse 16, do you know the condescension of God? And I love when Nephi is like, I know God loves all of his children. And then he says, nevertheless, I do not know the meaning of all things. Or in other words, I know God loves all of his children, but I have no idea what you're talking about right now. That's right. what, oh, surprise everyone. 
It might be Christ the Lord. It's not. Calling. Did you look at the caller ID? <laughs> Christ the Lord. That was really scary. <laughs> there we go. Um, that's when um, that he's going to show us. Let me show you what it looks like and for God to come yes. to our level. Well, and I think it's really cool that you're saying, he's like, I don't understand. And sometimes that's a hard thing to admit. And yeah. sometimes I find myself in that spot where I'm like, I don't always feel like I have a huge insight when I read the Book of Mormon. I am dyslexic. I struggle reading. I like reading the scriptures is something that's always been hard for me. But I'm a big believer in action and a big believer in showing up. And so sometimes, even though I'm like, I don't understand what this is saying, but I do understand that God loves me and that I've been told countless times, even through the dream about Lehi and the tree of life and the iron rod, that if I hold to these things, I will be happier, that I will come closer to Christ, that I will feel his spirit in my life. And sometimes that is enough. You know, mm. I do not understand the meaning of all things. I do not always understand what this is always talking about, but as I strive you know, verse by verse or step by step to follow the Savior and do my best and show up, I have seen the difference in my life, even though I don't always see it in the moment. Yes, that's so I good. feel the difference in my that's life because so I don't understand the meaning of all things, but I do know that God loves me. And I think that that's a, something that this always makes me think of. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, because the angel is like, like, that's fine. Yeah. You know, when he's just like, I don't know what that means. Like the response like, in a way okay. is like, great, that's totally fine. Let yeah. me uh, let me show you some stuff. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about it, like yeah. from where you are. You and know? I actually, funny enough, on my way here, I had a, a ride from the airport, a you know, a driver, and somehow we got to talking, and he was like, "Oh, you're Mormon." I'm like, kind of Mormon, and I was like, "What does <laughs> what does that mean?" And he was saying how much he loved the Book of Mormon, mm. but that he's too much of a sinner and he has too much to repent of. Oh. To, and I. I was like, we're all making mistakes all the time. Like to say that you're not in a good enough place or I don't understand the meaning of all things. So like, I can't really be a part of that or I don't feel like mm -hmm. I can show up at church. And I was like, we are all in that spot. Like I yes. feel that all the time, but just because you don't feel like you're perfect, it's all about progress versus perfection. Like mm -hmm. Heavenly Father does not expect us to be perfect. And I think about that, whether I'm practicing the violin and I get so discouraged because mm -hmm. I'm not perfect or whether I'm reading my scriptures, I would rather be progressing than being perfect oh, in my so scripture study or my come follow me practice or whatever it is. Um, you were anyways, the perfect person to be in that car with him. We had such a nice talk. Well, he needed somebody who could say, like the angel said to Nephi, it's fine. Yeah. Like exactly where you are mm. is right where you begin. Like it exactly. is fine. Start where you are. Right. One step at a time. You'll take some steps backwards, but that's... That's how life is. And right. I just know that I've always been happier when I'm doing the things that Heavenly Father's asked me to. These little tiny simple stones mm -hmm. that like lead me from one to the next spot um, have always made me happier. But sorry, okay, going back to this. So um, I think one of the really cool things that he starts with the condescension of, you know, God and the condescension of Christ coming to this earth is that he does start with the scene of where Christ was born and the fact that he was born in the most humble circumstances and circumstances that most of us, I don't know everybody's story, but most of us will be, have the experience of being born in a hospital room mm -hmm. with nurses and doctors and sanitary conditions and loved ones excited around them, you know, our mom. But Christ, he descended below all things. And he did that through the atonement, which we'll talk about later. But even through his actual life, he started out by being turned away, by turned away from the inns and all the places. 
And just from the very beginning of being a tiny infant baby, like Christ can understand what it feels like when we feel lonely or when we feel left out, which I think is one of the most universal feelings is feeling misunderstood mm -hmm. or not a part. And mm -hmm. I love that Christ came to that level from his very first moment here on this earth when he was born in a stable with cows. <laughs> yeah. And what and how beautiful that would have been for a group of people who experienced being turned away and dejected the shepherds. Like that was a group of people mm -hmm. that would have experienced that and to know like, hey, your Lord and Savior knows what that is like. He knows before he was even born, before he was turned born. away, yeah. you know, and, and had that. And this is so neat that remember the question was, I want to know what the tree means. And the spirit doesn't tell him. Then all of a sudden, after he sees what Lindsay was talking about, he says, asks the question in 21, do you know what the tree means? And Lehi, I mean, Nephi, why, I really want him to be Lehi today. Um, <laughs> Nephi says, yes, it is the love of God, which sheddeth itself abroad in the hearts of the children of men. It's the most desirable above all things. And you think, one time I read this and I was like, wait a second, we all know what the tree means because we've read this chapter. And because but, Elder Bednar helped us. Yeah, right. But how do we, how did he know? Like, he asked a question, he saw Christmas, and then all of a sudden knew what it meant. But we're just coming off of Christmas. And if you'll just think for a second of that scene of the God of heaven and earth, completely vulnerable in the arms of this dejected young mother, um, surrounded by scandal and disease and, 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 and dirt and all those things. And to see that he was willing to come there. When he sees that moment, he's like, I know what it is. That is love. Mm -hmm. That, I, I get it. I, I've seen it. And then it's like the Spirit's like, oh, that's chapter one. Yeah. <laughs> that's chapter one. I'm going to keep showing you what love actually is and what it actually looks like. And and then he sees that um, the parts of the vision again. Do you remember like the tree and the rod and the river and all those things? And, and, and he says, look, uh, in verse, um, where am I? Uh, um, oh, 24, mm -hmm. look. And he sees Jesus, the Son of God, going forth among the children of men. And look, do you remember this from last time? I saw many fall down at his feet and worship him. And let's just show the board because it makes it so much easier when you see this part. Can you see it on there? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So Nephi's like, okay, I'm asking about the tree. And he's like, okay, I'm going to tell you about the tree and the rod, and all these things. And then what he shows him is Jesus, and he shows people falling down at his feet. That's what he's showing him there, and worshiping. And we did talk about that, come back. Oh. We did talk about that um, last week. Remember when they got to the tree, and instead of reaching up to pick the fruit, they fell down, hmm. um, which is so interesting that they fell down until you recognize the tree actually is Jesus. Yeah. And they fell down and worshiped him. And then, Ooh. isn't that awesome? Yeah. Um, and so he sees that. And then he's going to say again, verse 26, ready? Look and behold the condescension of God. So we already saw the condescension was the birth in the stable, that he came down and was born in that place. Um, not just born in that place, but born to humanity. That he was like, mm -hmm. I'm going to live on your streets. Yeah. Emmanuel, God's going to be with you. I, I'm going to be on in your places, like on this earth. I'm going to experience earth things, you know? Uh, and, that, and But he's going to keep going in 26. And he says, oh, 
I got more to show you of what the love of God and the condescension of God, which are the same thing, look like. And then you love that he's going to say, watch what happens in 27. Um, and I beheld the Redeemer of the world and the prophet who would prepare the way. And the Lamb of God went forth and was baptized of him. Okay, let's think about this for a minute. Here you want to draw the baptism of Jesus. And let's just think about the baptism of Jesus. Because on one hand, we want to talk about the location of the baptism oh, yeah. of Jesus. Because that's important. On the other hand, we want to talk about the covenant of the baptism of Jesus. So do you want to talk about the location? Yeah, let's talk about location You're first. Love this so um, Israel's uh, set up with the Sea of Galilee up here. And then the Jordan River that comes down. And then the Dead Sea. Um, it's called the Dead Sea because it's dead. <laughs> That's a good name. Um, it has so much salt content in it that nothing can live inside that sea. Uh, and it's actually dying. People say it's dying because it's shrinking every single year. Um, and it happens to be right near the city of Jericho and is the lowest spot on planet Earth geographically. Isn't that so awesome. Um, wow. So it again, is he's going to go to the lowest place. So if you've ever like um, had one of those loci bracelets, you know, they take water from Mount Everest and they also take sand from the Dead Sea because they're trying to take the highest spot on Earth and the lowest spot on Earth. It is the lowest place. So Bethabara, where we learn he gets baptized, is right where the Jordan River goes into the Dead Sea. And, and in Luke's account, you remember from last year, it's like he stands in line with everybody else to get baptized. I love that part. It's almost like John's like, next. <laughs> and he just comes in line. I'm here with everybody else. Yep, he's waiting with right, everyone. Right, waiting he's with everybody with else. everyone. And, and is baptized in that place, in the lowest spot on earth. But now we're going to talk about the covenant of baptism. Yes, because it's so, so cool. neat. Don't just focus on the verse that talks about baptism because you want to watch what the angel shows next. And um, you remember when we get baptized as Latter-day Saints, we make a covenant with God. And, and the covenant is found in Mosiah 18 and says, We will mourn with those that mourn and we will comfort those that stand in need of comfort. And we will bear one another's burdens and we will stand as witnesses of Jesus Christ. So, so we will love like he would if he was here. That is the covenant of baptism that every Latter-day Saint takes. So if you are ever anywhere in the world and, and things are not going good for you, then you would hope there was a covenant person within reach because that person has promised God. They have covenanted I will comfort you and I will mourn with you and I will bear whatever you're going through. And I love that the angel is like, let me not just show you the baptism of Jesus, like that moment, but let me show you what that covenant actually looks like. And these are verses that um, Latter-day Saints look to, to try and guide their life, mm -hmm. right? Uh, show me how to mourn with those that mourn comfort and bear burdens and, and it's in the life of Jesus that we actually yeah, the, see it. the Gospels, right? right. Um, and that's what Nephi is, is going to see, right? He's going to see this is what that looks like. And so in verse 28, it tells us, And I beheld he went forth ministering unto the people. Okay? That's living the baptismal covenant. It's ministering unto all the people. And he tells us again in verse 30, the angel said, Look, and I looked, and I beheld the heavens open again, and I saw angels descending upon the children of men, and they did minister to them. So it's it's not just Jesus ministering, but it's everyone who follows Jesus. It's angels both from heaven, but also here on earth. It's, mm -hmm. it's people who are saying, 
I will minister. And then you love that in case Nephi didn't get it from those two things in verse 31, he's going to say, okay, Nephi, look one more time. And I looked and I beheld the Lamb of God going forth among the children of people. And I beheld multitudes of people who were sick and who were afflicted with all manner of diseases and with devils and unclean spirits. And the angel spake and showed all these things to me. And I love this part. And they were healed by the power of the Lamb of God. That baptismal covenant for Jesus was the same as it is for every one of us, right? He stepped out of the water and into a life of ministry, mm -hmm. of healing, of looking for the people who were sick and afflicted and, and whose lives were not well. And he brought that message of healing, the same as we all do. But I love when you read that verse and you think he went and met those people on their worst day. Mm -hmm. That's what he did. He went and met them in their lowest place. When things were as bad as they could be, those are the places where he showed up, right? In, in people's lowest and hardest moments, that's condescension. That's well, what he's showing us. And I love in verse 30 where it talks, you talked about angels coming, mm -hmm. you know, from this side and the other side. And you know, I have, I think one of the things that my testimony has become the strongest in at this point in my life is my belief in angels mm -hmm. and their presence here in this life. And I think it's as a result of like losing people that mm -hmm. I love so much. My dad passed mm -hmm. away, my best friend passed away and it was about a year apart. And I suddenly felt like I could understand my relationship with the other side a tidbit more mm -hmm. because people that I loved so much in this life were now over there and it just made it seem not more real, but more tangible, more accessible. And I pray for help from my angels all the time because we're told that angels are with us, mm -hmm. that they're around us. And I feel like the closer I get to the scriptures and to my Heavenly Father, the closer I get to my angels. And it's kind of funny, but I even describe it to people sometimes as I feel like I walk through life with a superpower a little bit <laughs> yeah. because I've, I feel like I have these, these angels and I imagine them walking around me. Mm. I ask them for help all the time, you know, simultaneously as I ask my Heavenly Father for inspiration and help. And I believe full heartedly that that, that they are so much closer than I think I ever imagined. I I've had that. some really beautiful experiences that would seem so coincidental and so small to other people, but they're my miracles. And like I said, it makes me feel powerful. And the closer I get to the scriptures, the more I feel like I have power in my mission on earth, which I think all of our mission is to bring light, to bring light to the world. Like that's what we've been asked to do by the scriptures and by our heavenly father is be a light of Jesus Christ mm -hmm. and shine. And, um, you know, when, when you get that feeling of feeling the spirit to me, I almost feel like I'm glowing like my angels and um, I don't know it's a really yeah, I love that so special and, and just of that thought of meeting people being willing to meet people yeah where they are on either side of the bell have you heard undeniable by Mercy River mm -mm. oh it will change your life you are gonna love it so uh -huh. much and we will put it in the newsletter too just as you're thinking about those angels who minister on both sides of the bell it's a beautiful reminder of that and Oh, you done? Yeah. Oh, I was gonna say I, I noticed this time as I come through, um, verse twenty eight, and it says it again in verse thirty one. They keep using the word multitudes, mm. which is the word that Lehi used in his vision the first time. And I'm just noticing that for right now that 
these multitudes of people that you saw in the vision are these people of the sick and the afflicted and those with diseases and devils. And sometimes it's so easy to read that vision and just say like, I can't believe they walked away or this or this. And you're like, wait, these are the people who needed someone to come to them and needed to guide them to the tree. We had the opportunity, Emily and I, yesterday to um, speak at the, uh, do church at the prison um, here uh, up the road a bit. And it was just a beautiful and wonderful experience. Mm-hmm. And we and it was Sunday school, so we talked about the tree of life with um, the uh, men who were there. And uh, and Emily actually told her dream story there, which is what reminded us of it. It's like, that's why I made her tell it again today. <laughs> um, because um, it was a dream, and this is a dream. But um, there was a man who was there, sat over on the left-hand side. And when Emily was done telling that story, he said, um, I've had somebody give me a sandwich like that. And he said, I was homeless at one time and um, had just frostbitten fingers and toes. And and uh, a man came with a sandwich wrapped in brown paper with twine tied up in it, tied up around it, and invited me into his car to warm up for, for 45 minutes and just have a conversation with me. And when he was done telling that story, Emily looked over at it and, and well, we were looking at him already. And she said, um, oh, we love that man. And then he started to tear up and cry. And he says, no, I love that man. And in that moment, that man was living his, like an angel. He was living that baptismal covenant. He was living like Jesus to meet him where he was and give him what he needed, which was a sandwich. And a warm car. Yeah, and he just like, oh, Mm -hmm. it's exactly what he needed. And he met him there and, and ministered to him. You know, in that way, that is what you're seeing in this vision. Mm-hmm. That is what is happening right here. I love that. And I think that a lot of times we think of like being a representative of Christ or a missionary. It, like a lot of people get very overwhelmed by those words. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how could I possibly like share my faith or share my truth? You know, everyone's afraid of what people think. But the more you learn about Christ's ministry and how he ministered, you realize it's about love. Yeah. That is the message of the gospel. Is love people love 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 and that is what the savior would do and the closer you get to that the closer you get to being an angel on earth the closer you get to being close to the angels that are present and the more joy you are filled with because people become like i don't know there's a difference when you start when i start to really get close to christ and i see the people around me differently and mm. suddenly you realize that we are all the same yeah. and I one of my least favorite things about the industry that I work in of music is people start you you realize elevation of status happens a lot and then there's this very humanizing thing when you realize we're all the same whether you live on the street or whether you are an iconic pop star like we're all people we're all Mm -hmm. sons and daughters of God and it's all about equality and love and sharing and it's it just makes me happier too and it's it's an amazing yes. transformation yeah. that happens and i love you. when you're saying um sometimes it scares us to think of sharing what we know mm-hmm. and and do i know the right thing to say and do i know how to explain and i love that sometimes sharing the gospel is actually just bringing just a sandwich mm-hmm. you know right. it's just showing up for what that person right. needs in that moment and just and not love. having the plan of like okay a b c d yes. it's like no what do they need today yeah what does right. someone that. need what to hear instead of like, well, then how will I talk about mm-hmm. this? Or how will I invite them to this? It's like, no, share. And I I guess I've, I've never been super afraid of sharing the gospel. And maybe it started on my mission. I just realized, <laughs> oh, this isn't scary. And I think I really realized it when I started going out and doing a lot of stuff on social media. And I realized that no matter what I did, 
people were, would complain or dislike or hate on me. It didn't matter what I did. No matter how hard I tried to please everybody, someone was going to hate what I did and my art and my love and my passion. And it made me realize, well, gosh, if, if they're going to be that way no matter what, I might as well share the things I really I believe in rather than worrying about trying to share what people want to hear. Because no matter what you say, people yeah. are going to, there's going to be pushback. And I love that thought of just being genuine. I'm just going to share what I you believe. Are, share what you know. That's so good. Yeah, um, and your message that you just said where you're just like worded it so well that everything is about love. That's exactly what the angel and the spirit are trying to show Nephi in this mm-hmm. vision. Let me show you what love actually looks like. And he showed him in the manger and he showed him in Jesus's ministry. And the last thing that he's going to show him is, is the cross. And it starts in 32 and he says, look again. And he saw that the lamb of God was taken by the people. And the, and do you love that? He's like the son of the everlasting God was judged of the world. And I Nephi saw that he was lifted up upon the cross and slain for the sins of the world. Um, Paul, you remember the New Testament says he became sin, right? In, in our place. Um, but this was the cross. The Romans were just masters of torture. And uh, at this time, the most humiliating way to degrade a person, to degrade their family, their reputation, to just tear them down in every absolute way that they could um, was crucifixion. It was the most painful physically, emotionally. Um, a lot of times you see pictures of the cross and it's like up really mm-hmm. high. But most historians believe that it was actually just a foot off of the ground and put in a really public place. Yeah, a main road that where people would come and go from Jerusalem. So everyone would have passed by there and witnessed that death happening and a lot of people would mock those people. They would spit on them. Like part of that crucifixion process was, I love what it talks about. He was judged of men and kind of what you were talking about. That it doesn't matter sometimes what we do, that there's going to be the people who are going to judge every single thing that we do as wrong. And that was part of this crucifixion moment was people he didn't even know that were coming um, to condemn. Yeah. And it just is funny because... Anybody who lived anciently would have said, oh, it, it, like, it, it's gut-wrenching to look to the cross. Like, that is such an awful thing to look at. I mean, Christmas is so beautiful to look at. Mm-hmm. And Jesus raising the dead and healing the blind is such a beautiful thing to look at. And then the angel's like, and I also want you to look at the cross. And he watches this scene of crucifixion. And it's all, you know, you watch the videos, the Bible videos that are done, and you're just almost like, you have to close your eyes during that part. But remember the message that the angel was showing him is the message of love. And he says, do you want to know what the love of God looks like? It, it looks like this. It looks like um, the father willing to send the son to bear the sins of the world, to take all that humiliation, to take on all the sins of the world in that painful way. Yeah, and um, in the lowest and the most humiliating place possible. And I like to think that you know, the hardest thing that the Savior went through was the actual um, atonement where he felt the sins and the weight of the entire world and all that would ever live. But I think that the bookends of the Savior's life, the way that he really did descend below the state that most of us will ever be in, um, you know, through his lowly birth and through his horrific death and torture and persecution, I think it kind of is a way for us to relatably understand what he went through because it's 
and it's impossible for us to understand what it would feel like to undertake the sins of the world. Mm -hmm. However, you can look at an image of a nail driven through someone's hand and a cross, and we can learn about this historically and how torturous it was, and feel like, like you said, you like look away. You and I think it was a way that we could physically, because all the symbolism that we go through, whether it's baptism or you know laying on of hands, all these things are physical representations of spiritual covenants and i think that was a physical representation of something that without that we would really have a hard time understanding how far mm -hmm. he condescended you know, yeah because so, so yeah because you could look at your life and you could say sometimes like well my life is going so miserably i think god forgot about me and then i think that same angel would come back and he would say look look at the cross this is a god who will not abandon you not after everything he went through this, this is a God who's on your side, who is for you. This is the proof. Sometimes we feel the love of God through a song that we hear or through someone reaching out or a poem or something like that. But Jesus on the cross is the way God showed his ultimate love to the world to, mm -hmm. and to each of us individually, like we're all included in it. And it's interesting that um, when you see the cross, like, a, like two things happen. One, it humbles you because you look at it and you say, wow, I did not know that that's what it costs to save me. Like, I didn't know what a bad state I was in. I didn't know how, like, how, like it took the death of a God to rescue me. But at the same time, it not only humbles you, but it exalts you because you're like, wow, I can't believe that someone was willing to do that for me. Mm. Like, it shows you what you're worth that, and, and, and your value, that he yeah. was knew everything about you, all of your secrets, all of your like past deeds, and was still willing to go to the cross for you. And That's love, what it does. And I love what Lindsay's talking about, just that um, that he shows us, I will meet you in your worst place. You know, I will meet you there. And Because he's been there. Yeah, I can. And I Everyone's think about included. my cute friend, Chris Belcher, who we keep um, talking about and probably will talk about for the next little bit. And... Um, I'm losing my best friend currently right now too and it is heartbreaking to watch that moment and um, at Easter of this year we've we've told you this story before but it's just such a good match to this what's going on here at Easter this year I went over and I spent a lot of time sitting on her bed in fact I was over there this afternoon for a couple hours and I just hold her hand and on that day when I was there she'd just come home from the hospital from a really invasive surgery and she was all wrapped up in gauze and in several different places band-aids and you could see stitches and she was in a lot of pain and her and I talk a lot about Jesus it's our favorite thing to talk about and I was holding her hand and sitting on her bed and she said tell me the most recent thing you've learned about Jesus that's her favorite thing to ask me every time I come over and so I said to her I've been studying about Easter and when Jesus died and and we had been reading um, come follow me it was it was this last year so we were in the Gospels and as her and I had been reading and studying together we had been watching all the places where Jesus met someone where they were so the woman at her well and the daughter of Jairus in her bedroom and Peter in the middle of the water and, and we had kind of been keeping a list of all of these places and I said to her okay I have a good one for you um, and we talked about all those ones. And I said, have you ever noticed before that Jesus met the criminal on his cross? 
And um, the fact that he wasn't there doing that alone, but that there were two other men who were there in that moment. And the one who reaches out to him in that moment of pain, that moment of like, most people suffer that thing by themselves. And he's still ministering in that moment, right? Mm -hmm. He's still teaching. He's still offering healing, even in the midst of his worst um, mortal moment. And she sat there for a minute and she thought about it. And then she said to me, that's, that's good. She told me. Mm -hmm. And then she said, when you teach that, cause she, her and I both love to go and teach. She said, when you teach that you need to tell people he didn't just meet them where they were, but he was willing to go lower than where they were in order to completely understand. And I looked at my cute friend laying on that bed who's fought cancer so many times, who had lost her eyes, who would end up losing her hearing, um, whose body was just so beaten in that moment. And to hear her talk about somebody else's worst moment and the fact that Jesus would not just meet them there, but would suffer worse in order to make sure he knew what was happening. And I, I loved that. And as we think about this, as we look at this story, I love that the angel wants to make sure Nephi knows, let me show you where he was born. And do you recognize the lowness of that place, the lowliness of what was happening? And now let me show you where he was baptized and in the lowest place. And let me show you how he went and met people in their lowest place. And let me show you how he was willing to die the lowest of deaths. Like at the end of the day, this dream is about a God who would come down from where he was to where we are in our lowest place and bring ministering and healing and love into that situation. And it's such a beautiful picture of who Jesus is. When we were at the prison yesterday, we had the opportunity to share that time with a member of the 70 in our church, um, who's someone who would work in the general leadership of our church. You read about the 70s in the New Testament, um, same thing for us. And this man's name was Elder Clark. And he stood up after us and he said, I wanna give you four invitations of what it looks like to look, um, to participate in what Nephi did, but today in our own life, how do we find the Savior among us? What would we do? Yeah, so his invitations, you're going to love these. And we'll put them in the newsletter so that you've got them. But the first one he says is um, to communicate with heaven through prayer, um, to speak and to, to know, especially when you read this, this chapter, to know, wait, that there's not anyone excluded. If he'll meet a thief and a criminal on a cross, like you are not, you're not like disqualified from him meeting you. Um, I love P.S. when we were there, we started talking about Jesus is going to, he meets people here and here and here and that prisoner at the back who said, like he meets us here. In the prison. In the prison. Oh, it was, and it was so It was awesome. like, oh. Um, so communicate with heaven. You know, um, one little thought please, that yeah. I have, I love, I love studying mental health because it's something that I have, I battled in my past in a really big way. And now I love to just learn all about different mental health practices. And I think that it is so amazing that there are so many ties to gospel practices mm -hmm. and proven studied mental health practices that help people. One of which that's like spreading the world now and becoming very in vogue and cool is the practice mm -hmm. of meditation mm. and 
to me, like as I've learned more about and why it's effective and the way, like the best practices of how to do meditation, I'm like, it's like, it's very similar to prayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very similar to, they say like, just start your day with it. Like before you do anything else, it's like I've been taught my whole life to start my day with a mindful moment. And instead of it just being this communication with the universe and like a moment of stillness and listening, it's a communication to a higher power. And, you know, and they say to do it twice a day and to, re- I don't know, I just, I just want to throw that in there, but there are scientific studies showing that. how it changes so cool. your, mm-hmm. your engagement and it changes your brain matter. Mm-hmm. Actually, the gray matter in your brain will change. And so I like to think of prayer as like, you know, it's a, it's a physical, powerful and spiritual tool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. That oh, is beautiful. So That's so awesome. So number one, communicate with heaven to talk and to listen, mm-hmm. both of those together. Number two was learn to love the scriptures Mm. because it is how God speaks to us. It's how he's done for so many hundreds and thousands of years and is still doing it today. Um, He promised everyone who is there, if you will read the scriptures to listen for God's voice, your life will be better. Like you said at the beginning Mm -hmm. about about doing that. Um, And and, uh, he, he said this. This was awesome. And he says, come here to the sanctuary every week. Um, it wasn't an actual church, but it was a place that was like, come to a sanctuary, mm-hmm. come to your holy place, a church if it is, at least once a week. And what he said was cool. He's like, and when you're there, um, he was like, you want to write down the inspiration and the things that you receive. And he had this little book that was like this size that he just pulled out of his suit coat pocket that he carries around everywhere he goes. I love what he called it. This is my favorite part. It was his book of revelation. It's just this tiny little book, but he writes down what comes to him at church. Don't you mm, love that idea? I love that. Yeah. Everybody needs one of those. Because he talked about the sanctuary as a place where he's just like, okay, um, don't just you know go to the sanctuary, but he says, come humble and teachable. Um, I was patting the book, not my <laughs> bum, okay? He says, come humble and teachable. Um, and come with your problems. And then the third thing actually was his fourth thing. And he says, also come, um, decide to help God's children by small and simple things. Mm. So find a way to be kind and to minister like Jesus mm-hmm. did in really small and simple ways. Those four invitations, he says, that's how you look. And that's how to you're going to see him in your life. And as we talked about this, we were like, we want people to realize this wasn't just something that happened in a dream. It wasn't just something that happened in the New Testament. Jesus Christ is actually going to show up in our lives. He's going to meet us where we are, as we are, but he doesn't intend to leave us there. And and I love as we were talking, Lindsay brought just a story of a moment in her life um, where Jesus Christ showed up, where she, she had that experience. So I tour a lot for a living. And, you know, this was, well, it was a couple years ago. And I went on tour right after my father passed away. And I was really struggling. I mean, and not only that, but my best friend that passed away was not only my best friend, he was my keyboard player Mm -hmm. in my band. And so I had traveled the world with him. He was my best friend. And touring without him was so Mm -hmm. hard. I was reminded every day that, like, my best friend was gone and something was missing. And, um... Then my father passed away, and again, I was directly back on tour, and um, my boyfriend came out for a little bit to be with me, and um, he was someone I thought I was going to marry, and we ended up breaking up. Oh, no. And so I just, 
have very few times in my life felt that alone. And I just was like, all my people that I talked to, you know, whether it was my boyfriend, my dad, my best friend, they were gone. And they were not a part of my life anymore. And I just remember I called my mom that night and I was like, I feel like I'm drowning. I literally feel like I'm drowning and I can't come up for a breath of fresh air every time I think I've got it, another wave hits me and I cannot stand up. And I, and I said those specific words, I even wrote them in my journal and I, I am drowning. And like a few days later was Sunday and I was in France, in a little town of France, mind you, and I was like, I'm gonna find church today. I'm re I'm, I don't care how far, and I took a taxi really far to go to church where I, you know, a Mormon church where they didn't speak English. And I asked them, I said, can someone give me a blessing? <laughs> anyone speak English and they were okay they were looking around for someone who spoke English to give me a blessing and meanwhile they said well why don't you go to Relief Society and so I sat in the back of a French Relief Society lesson where I didn't understand <laughs> a word and I was like tears were literally streaming down my face as they taught and then at the end of the lesson she pulls out this huge picture of Jesus Christ and it was a picture, it's become my favorite picture, I wish I had it with me, it's in my house, but it's a picture of Christ reaching through the water. Mm. And it's that image of when Peter is drowning and reaching up because mm. he was trying to walk on the water and he was trying to do everything right and he still fell. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's me. I didn't need a word. I didn't need a single word because I didn't speak the language and Heavenly Father knew that and he knew all I needed was just to know that while I was felt like I was drowning he was there mm. and he would never leave me and I was like because at the time I was like I'm trying to do everything right and yet I'm still drowning and no matter where you find yourself the Savior will always always be there and the fact that he condescended below everything we would ever go through lets us know that and no matter how big or how small and you know sometimes it's easy to look at other people and be like how could I feel sad about what I'm going through because other people have such bigger trials but it doesn't mm. matter he knows what's hard for you he knows what's hard for me and he's felt it and so he understands why it's so hard and he mm. will help us be magnified he will lift us out of the water and he will make it so that we can feel powerful mm. through I, his gospel I love what you talk about I love the picture that's in your home that is his hand. That's, mm -hmm. that's what you see in that moment. Because in every story that we read, that's, you've you hear about him touching people, mm -hmm. right? And that's what you hear about um, just his hands and, and how many lives were touched because of those hands. And we actually have a favorite poem um, that we want to read. And so here's how the end of this show is going to go. I'm going to show you a, a violin that I was given many years ago. In fact, you be in charge of the violin. Okay. And I'll be in charge of the poem. Um, this is a violin that I got from my mother-in-law many, many years ago, and I love this violin. Um, and what I love about it is that it's broken um, because I have learned to know that Jesus Christ loves broken things. And whenever I need that reminder, I pull out this violin. And whenever I pull out this violin, I remember this poem. And it's a poem you've probably heard a million times, but as we talked about this lesson, and as we were at the prison yesterday and, and had this experience, it just ended up being a really unique coincidence that Lindsay reached out to us and said, hey, I wanna come and I wanna teach and, and be a part of what you're doing and introduce some of my people to what you're doing and what you're teaching. And, we wrote back and said, 
we actually want you to play. It is the perfect <laughs> lesson to play. And so once we finish this poem, we're gonna take a small pause and just switch rooms for a second. And then Lindsay's actually gonna play for us. But um, as we go through this process, we want you to think about this violin and this poem, and then watch what happens at the end and think about all of this dream. And what we want you to do when it is all over is just sit for a second by yourself and write down, what do I know about Jesus Christ? What did I learn today about Jesus Christ? So. And what you're gonna hear that is so neat is, is only Jesus can turn a manger into a holy place and turn the lowest spot on earth into heaven and, and turn a cross into paradise and, and turn a little town in France mm -hmm. and a little drowning girl uh, into, a, into a, a significant and spiritual moment. And what he can do with, with these broken places and people and then the song, should we say what song you're going to do? Because you should yeah. know the name of it. It's Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Mm. And really what that is saying is, Come Thou Jesus into my life. Yeah, is what the message so good. Is. Here's the poem. "'Twas battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it hardly worth his while to waste his time on the old violin. But he held it up with a smile. What am I bid, good people? He cried. Who'll start the bidding for me? One dollar? One dollar? Do I hear two? Two dollars? Who'll make it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice, going for three, but no. From the far back room, from from the room far back, a gray-bearded man came forward and picked up the bow. Then wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening up the strings, he played a melody pure and sweet, as sweet as the angel sings. The music ceased and the auctioneer, with a voice that was quiet and low, said, what now am I bid for this old violin, as he held it aloft with its bow? One thousand, one thousand, do I hear two? Two thousand, who makes it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice, going and gone, said he. The audience cheered, but some of them cried, we just don't understand. What changed its worth? Swift came the reply, the touch of the master's hand. And many a man with life out of tune, all battered and bruised with hardship, is auctioned cheap to a thoughtless crowd, much like that old violin. A mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He is going once, he is going twice, he is going and almost gone. But the master comes, and the foolish crowd never can quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that is wrought by the touch of the master's hand. So give us just a minute. We'll be right back. We're going to push pause, but don't end because um, we're going to come back and just let Lindsay share her testimony through music of this principle. And then we'll see you next week.
This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.